All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Y'all glad to be here? Hey, uh, so this is a time when a lot of people travel. You may be going to college football games or going to homecoming events, that kind of thing. You get on the highway, it's not uncommon to see people on the side of the road, right? People just pull over on the shoulder for some reason. And people pull over for all different kinds of reasons. And so I want to take a little survey here. I've been wondering this throughout the week. I just want to know how truthful you'll be in church, okay? So I'm going to ask you a question of the reasons why you pull over on the side of the road. Hands up if you've done this before, okay? So if you pull over on the side of the road because of some, you know, mechanical problem with the car, uh, raise your hand. Okay, that's, this is a warm-up. This is just kind of get you used to it, all right? No looking around, no judging, Okay. If you pull over the side of the road because you needed to look at a map or, or get directions or kind of figure out where you're going, uh, hands up. Right. See, no guys are raising their hands right now. No, I'd never do that, man. Not me. I know where I'm going. Uh, all right, so on the side of the road because you're taking a picture for some reason. Okay, yeah, yeah, obviously I've done that many times, side of the road. Uh, here's another one, a little more honest. How many of you pulled over the side of the road because somebody had to go to the bathroom? I'm not going to ask who it was. We'll blame it on the kids, okay? <laughs> uh, all right. How many of you pulled over the side of the road because you said something like this? Kids, if you keep doing that, I'm going to pull this car over right now. Yeah, all right. Yeah, all kinds of reasons why we pull over to the side of the road, right? Well, I'm going to show you a story today of Jesus pulling over to the side of the road. He's on a busy highway, and something went down that made him pull over to give an important lesson. And what we're going to learn today is a lesson about true greatness. All right, I want you to get your Bible. I want you to open it up to Math, no, Mark, Mark chapter 10. Don't go to Matthew, that won't be it. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be uh, today. Now, let me just kind of set up what, it, what we're about to read here. This is a very important chapter, Mark chapter 10. This is the last week and a half or so, maybe two weeks max, of Jesus' life, all right? This is at the end of his life, and he is moving toward Jerusalem. He, is, he has been up in the northern part of Galilee, he has moved to the region of Perea, and now he's moving down toward Jerusalem. And he is, he is passing through Jericho. And then at Jericho, this is a normal track. They would go down the Jordan River Valley that is next to the river because there's water there, number one. Number two, it's very, it's very uh, flat, so it's easy to travel. And then you would make all your way down to Jericho. And then at Jericho, you would go to Bucky's, all right? You'd, go, you'd, you'd fill up your car with gas. You know, you would get all your last-minute snacks and provisions, and then you would turn, and then it's uphill from Jericho all the way up to Jerusalem, about a 15-mile direct straight path. Now, they are traveling at the time of the Passover, so there are a lot of people on this road, a lot of people traveling on this road. But this was a very important time for Jesus. Jesus had made this trek all his life as a young boy. He had always gone this route. This was the last time he would go on this route. It's his last couple of weeks of life. He knows that he's heading to Jerusalem to give his life. In fact, he has just given the third prediction of his death. And these were not vague predictions. These were very obvious predictions. 
He said, the Son of Man is going to go and be arrested and handed over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he will be flogged and crucified and he will be buried and raised on the third day. He has told them this three times. But it seems that that wasn't registering to them. And now here he is. It's actually going to happen. And now they're moving up toward Jerusalem. And they could tell that something's going on. There was this resolve in Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 9 verse 51, it says, He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And it says in Mark chapter 10 that his men were both amazed at his, as in his resolve, as it, in his determination, but they were also afraid. They were afraid of what was about to happen because they knew that the tensions with the religious leaders were getting worse and worse and worse, that they'd already tried on two different occasions to kill Jesus. And they knew that things were coming to a head and things, something was going down in Jerusalem this time. So the context of this is a busy road the context of this is very intense and, and almost a foreboding sense of something is about to happen. And that's where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. So this is the word of God. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. And they answered him, allow us to sit at your right and at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Now stop right there for just a minute. James and John come up to Jesus. Remember, his mind's on, on the cross. His mind's on Jerusalem. They come up to Jesus, and, I, he, and they give him what I call the audacious ask. Right? The audacious ask. Because it says, hey, we want you to do what we say. Right? We want you to put us at your right and at your left when you come into glory. We want the positions of power. All right? That's what we want. We want the highest positions of recognition when you finally come into your place. Now, I just want you to know that that sounds really bad. Would you agree with that? That sounds a little forward, all right? a little aggressive to say, we want this and you need to give this to us. Uh, somebody say amen if you think that's a little weird. All right? uh, Mark is actually being very kind about this. Mark is being very kind because Matthew is not so kind when he tells this story. Because Mark omitted a very important piece of this story, and that is that these guys didn't come directly to Jesus and ask this. They sent their mom to go to Jesus and ask this. Now, is that the lamest of lame or what? All right. Hey, mom, would you go ask Jesus if we could be, you know, and, and okay, I'll go. I mean, really, you're going to ask your mom? You know, and, and so they're like, Jesus, we want you to put us at the right or the left. And, uh, and Jesus comes back with a question. Well, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you willing to be baptized with my baptism? Now, of course, they don't fully understand what all that means. 
We know now, looking back on it, that the cup was always a picture of suffering, right? Uh, many times in the scripture, the cup is a, a picture of suffering or a picture of even the wrath of God. When he talks about his baptism, he's certainly talking about his death and his resurrection. Are you willing to suffer like I'm going to? Are you willing to endure what I'm going to endure? And they simply just said, we are able. They didn't really know what they were asking, did they? They really didn't. In fact, church history will tell us that these two did experience that. James was the first one to die of the apostles. He was the first martyr. He was beheaded by Herod in Acts chapter 12. John was the last one of the apostles to die. So it's interesting, the first one to die and the last one to die were these two brothers. They had to walk their own road, but they didn't fully understand what they were asking. You know, it's interesting, I, I think, just to stop right there and just make an application. I think it's easy for us to go, man, what an audacious thing. They're going to say, Jesus, you give us what we want. But how many times have we prayed that, right? Jesus, we want you to give us this one thing. It's all I'm asking, man. I just want this one promotion. Or are we, Lord, we're just asking for this one job to open up. Or Lord, we're just asking if we could have a child. Or we ask whatever, whatever the thing is. Lord, we want you to give us what we ask. But so many times we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see what Jesus sees. And maybe the very thing you're asking for is not the thing that would be best for you. Maybe the thing you're really wanting is not the thing that, that God wants for you. God has better things for you. And, and so for some of you that are here today and you're really asking God for something and God has not given it to you and you're beginning to think that God doesn't love me and he doesn't care for me because he won't give me this one thing that I ask of him, then let me just, just hear me out. Maybe he's showing his love to you by not giving you that very thing. Maybe he's got better plans for you than what you can fully understand. Maybe, maybe it's just a good time to trust him and to realize, man, we don't see the big picture. Well, that's certainly the case with James and John. They did not see the big picture. They wanted the positions of power, right? And so their audacious ask uh, created quite a stir among everybody else. Look at, look at verse 41. It says, and when the 10 disciples heard this, uh, they began to be indignant with James and John. <laughs> I think that's a pretty uh, mild way to say it. I mean, honestly, guys, you're really trying to go around us now? I mean, here we are. You, you really think you deserve these spots? Peter's probably saying, I deserve, if anybody deserves, I'm the oldest. I deserve the right hand or the left hand. Not you, you know. Or Matthew's going, no, no, it's me. I'm the one that keeps this whole organization going, all right. I'm the one that keeps up with all the details or whatever the case may be. And there was this whole fighting back and forth. No, it's me. No, it's me. I can't believe you did that. And so you can picture they're on this busy road. They're on this busy highway. Jesus focused on giving his life and his whole crew is fighting about who's going to be the greatest. And he says, time out. Everybody to the side of the road. I'm not making this up. Look at what it says. Look at the next verse, verse 42. And Jesus called them over and said to them, call them over where? Over to the side of the road. Uh, all right, everybody over to the side of the road. Everybody over. Huddle up. We need to have a talk. All right, we, need to, we need to set some things straight about what true greatness is about. Listen, if Jesus could pull us over and tell us anything about true greatness, this is what he'd say. 
Look at what he says. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. Remember, James and John just asked for a high position. The, these Gentiles, they're like tyrants when they're in these positions. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. You see, this world has got um, a way, our world has got a way of, of perceiving greatness. And greatness is always about stepping up. It's always about moving up. It's always about climbing up. It's always about moving up on the org chart. It's about moving up to the corner office. It's about, it's about my position so that people see that I'm successful because I've moved my way up. Whatever, the, whatever my career path is. That is how we perceive greatness. And, and it's almost like there's this pyramid, right? And on the top of the pyramid, whoever gets to the top of the pyramid is great. And everybody down below, not so great. And certainly at the bottom, really not great. But if you're on the top of the pyramid, you're great. So if you're in Washington and you're on the top of the pyramid, you've got some great political position, right? If, you are, if you're in, on Wall Street and you're at the top of the pyramid, then you're making a lot of money. If you're in Hollywood or, or, or L.A. or Broadway, you're at the top of the entertainment pyramid, then you're landing that great part. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, this idea that greatness is about positions of power, and I'm sure he's looking right at James and John and at every one of them. This, this fixation you have with pursuing greatness is not greatness at all. In fact, it goes on to say that the relentless pursuit of being on top is the very thing that causes you to be empty and dissatisfied with life. Now, if you go back in, in earlier in the chapter, in Mark chapter 10, I think it's around verse 17, Jesus had an encounter with another guy who was what all we know, we don't know his name, we just known, know him as the rich young ruler. All we know about him is that he was rich. <laughs> he had a lot of money. And he was young. He had lots of hair probably, amen? And, and, and he was a ruler. He had a lot of power. I mean, he had everything going for him. He was rich. He was young. He was powerful. He was on the top of the pyramid. And yet, in that spot, he was empty. And he was coming to Jesus saying, how can I know that I'm right with God? Now listen, some of you know this. Some of you are nodding at me right now because that was your story. If I put the mic down here and say, okay, it's testimony time, there would probably be many of you that come back here and say, you know what? I gave my, a lot of my life to climbing that pyramid and I was empty on the inside and I did not know Jesus and I was lost. And all it did was make me want more. And here's the problem with, with fixating on the top of the pyramid. If you never get there, then you're dissatisfied. Well, my life was ruined because I never made it to the top. And so now I'm, I'm a failure. Or if you get to the top, you finally get there and you go, this is it? This is what the top looks like? This is all there is? And so you're empty on the inside. So what Jesus did was he flips the script and he says real greatness, true greatness, success and satisfaction in life is not relentlessly pursuing the top, 
but it is choosing the bottom. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to be uh, in a position of power, but to be a servant and a slave. Those are the words that Jesus used. I guess you could say it this way. True success is not found on the highway of success. It's found on the service road. It's found on the service road. It's found on the road of service to God and service to people. Now, I want you to hear me on this. This doesn't mean that I go, you know, quit my job, you know, necessarily. But it means that your identity cannot be in your job. Your identity cannot be in your position. Your identity cannot be that you're on that board or that you have this recognition because those things are gone like that. That your real significance and greatness is found in your service that God sees. And, and actually, Jesus is the example for us. And so I want to give you a couple of things here just very quickly that Jesus did intentionally that helped him to find greatness or exhibit greatness and get, leave us an example of greatness, okay? Jot this, this first thought down, that Jesus took a position of service. Jesus took a position of service. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. Let me just read it to you. He said, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. See that? Taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I want you to see that Jesus took a position of servitude. He chose that. I want you to just imagine what Jesus' life was like before Christmas Day. Before the first Christmas. What was his life like before he became a baby in a manger? He existed in heaven. He existed in fellowship with the Father for all eternity. In oneness and love with the Father and the Spirit. He, he received the praise and worship of all creation constantly and incessantly from infinity unto infinity. And yet in just a moment, he chose to put that aside and to come in the form of human likeness and to come, Philippians 2 says, come in the form of a servant. That word servant there is the Greek word doulos, which means a common slave. It was the lowest on the, uh, the social ladder. A common servant, a common slave. By the way, this is the very same word that Jesus uses in our text in Mark chapter 10. He said, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. If you want to be great, you have to be a slave to all. This is, this is the whole dichotomy. It's not about greatness. It's about being on the bottom. And Jesus gave us this incredible example that if you really want to achieve greatness, then you're going to do what I did. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. Have the same attitude in you that Christ did. Do what he did. He chose to step down from his high position and to take a form of a servant. And we are to do nothing less but to find positions of service. You know, I really think that in life there are two different kinds of people. There are those that say, what about me? Their t-shirt says, what about 
me? Question mark. What about me? What about what I want? What about what I need? What about my dreams? What about my desires? What about, what about my position? What about my rights? What about my happiness? What about me? Somebody needs to serve me. Things need to be coming to me. That's the what about me person. And then there is the other person, and that person is the what about you? What about you? What about your needs and your rights? And what about your happiness? What about your issues and your interests? Earlier in Philippians 2, he says, don't consider just your own interests, but also the interest of others. Don't look out for what you want, but what others want and what others need. This, this is the way of following Jesus. You know, our mission statement is to know and to follow Jesus. Lead every generation to know and follow Jesus. And part of following Jesus, folks, is choosing the service road. And saying, you know what, I want to model what Jesus did, and that is to choose positions of service. And this is one of the great things about being a part of a church. Because in a church, you can choose to serve in lots of different ways. You can choose to try to chip away at the what about me that's in you. All of us have what about me is right in us that's kind of our natural orientation and so the way that we curb that the way that we control that is we intentionally put ourselves in positions that are not recognized but positions of service where we just get our hands dirty and we serve and it's been a real blessing to see so many of you do that i mean every week uh, it takes hundreds of volunteers to pull off what we do on this campus every weekend I mean, when you look at people in the kids' department, people in the student department, people that are serving in connect groups, people that are serving in, in, uh, on the parking lot and get services and technology and worship. And, I mean, everybody, and by the way, everybody's volunteering, all right? This is, and, and many of them you don't even see, you don't even know, but they've chosen a position of service. And that cuts away, it erodes away that what about me in them and builds up the what about you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus chose a position of service. Are you doing that? Have you chosen a position of service? Are you finding places to humbly serve without recognition? The second thing Jesus did was he chose people to serve. He not only took a position of service, a position of service, but he also chose individuals to serve. You know, the night before his death, Jesus, you know, they, they, they get back on the road, they make it up to Jerusalem, and on the night before his death, they go to an upper room. And there, the table is set for them to enjoy the last meal together, the Passover meal together. Everything was provided for, uh, except for one thing. The foot washer didn't show up, right? I don't know, they didn't get the memo. They were laid off. They were on strike. I don't really know what happened. But everything was perfect except the foot washer didn't show up. Now, this is how I kind of envision this thing going down. The first guy comes in the room, and he's waiting for somebody to wash his feet. This was, by the way, very important. If you're walking around in sandals all day, on dusty roads all day, stepping in only the Lord knows what, then it's important to wash your feet, especially when you're not sitting at a table, but you're actually reclining at a lower table. Your feet are probably going to be next to somebody's face. It's really important to have clean feet, right? Would you agree with that? And so he walks in, waiting for the foot washer, the doulos, right? 
to, to do their thing. Nobody's there. So now you start to watch him and you can see the, his mind shifting gears in his, uh, upstairs. Uh, well, well maybe, I should, maybe I should wash my own feet. You know? And then you think, well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I could, uh, nah. <laughs> That's not my job. That's somebody else's job. I'm going to take my seat at the table. And so he just goes on and reclines at the table, gets the best spot. Next guy comes in, sees the same thing. Oh, well, there's no foot washer here. And I wonder what's, and he looks up and he goes, oh, well, that guy, he didn't wash his feet. Well, then I probably don't have to wash mine. And he got the best seat, so I'll go get the second best seat. And so he goes over to grab the seat at the table. And then the same thing happens again and again and again. And so finally Jesus comes in at the end and he sees all these guys lounging at the table with stinky feet next to each other's face. And he looks at the basin and the towel and he probably thought, I just talked to these guys on the road. I just pulled them over. And I just had this whole talk about being a servant, right? And they still don't get it. So what did he do? Did he chastise them? You guys need to get your act together. I just told you what to do. No, he doesn't do that, does he? He just took off his cloak, put a towel around his waist, picked up the basin, and began to wash her feet. And I'm sure as he did that, there were feelings of regret. Gosh, how could I have not seen that? I should have, I should have done that. I, I should have been the one to do that. And after Jesus washed their feet, this is what he said to them. He said, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done Some churches make a ritual out of foot washing, like that's a regular ritual that they do. But if you fixate on literally washing feet, you've missed the whole point. The point was not, you should make sure everyone has clean feet. The point is that you should choose, even if you're in a prominent position, to humble yourself and to serve others, even in the most menial of task. And when you do that, that's greatness. That's greatness. That means you go buy groceries for somebody. That means that you uh, take a meal by the house. That means that you uh, go do just some act of kindness that they don't expect. I remember several years ago, this was a long time, I was back in my 30s, and uh, I tore my Achilles tendon playing basketball. It was awful. You can go ahead and groan if you'd like right now. And um, so I was pretty much immobile. I was on crutches. I had this big boot on my leg. It, it was a hoot, man. When I would go up to preach, I had to hobble up the stairs, and I had to sit down in this chair. It was, it was quite terrible. 
And so I had a friend of mine that said, hey, obviously you can't take care of your lawn. I'll come by and I'll cut your grass for you for the next several weeks until you're back on your feet. I was like, man, that is so kind of you. Thank you so much. I really didn't need that. And so sure enough, he'd pull up about once a week and he'd pull out his lawnmower and his trash cans and his weed eater and his gas can and all of his equipment. And he'd zip around and, and, and clean all up, put it all back up and take off. Well, what you don't know about this friend of mine is that uh, at the time, and he was uh, probably the number one news anchor in that market, in the Oklahoma City market. I mean, everyone knew who he was. And he was very popular. And so, but we were just in community together. We all, we all had our kids. We were raising all of our kids together. So it was a big deal to me. But my neighbor is noticing that he's coming and cutting my grass. And so my neighbor came over to me after a couple of weeks of this. And he said, hey, you getting your grass cut? And I go, yeah. And he goes, uh, so is the guy that's cutting your grass, is that, uh, is that who I think that is? The guy on TV? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it actually is. He's like, he's cutting your grass. I'm like, yeah. He said, what, is the mayor coming over to take out your trash later or what? I'm like, no, man. It's just, you know, just my friend. But what, it, what blew his mind is here's this guy in a prominent position, and he's willing to just cut grass. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's talking about. The willingness to serve others in even the most menial needs when you do that, you're cutting away at that what about me. When you take a position of service, you're whittling away at that inner what about me. And you're, you're being shaped more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus. He said, that's greatness. That's greatness. And then I want you to see uh, one more thing. That Jesus paid the ultimate price of service. Jesus took positions of service, for sure. And he chose individuals to serve and to meet their needs. But Jesus also paid the ultimate price of service. Look at verse 45. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Like if anyone was going to be served, it would be me, right? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but yet to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew that's why he was going to Jerusalem, to give his life, the ultimate act of service. You may have never heard of the name Arland Williams Jr. Arland grew up in a small little town in Illinois that only had about 15,000 people in it. He ended up going to the Citadel to school in South Carolina, but he was quite nervous about it because of their swimming requirements and because he was deathly afraid of water. He graduated from there, uh, went into finance work, finally into banking, ultimately became a bank examiner. Um, just lived kind of a normal life, not necessarily anything great that one would even know anything about him. But something happened that, that defined him, that defined him as someone who was great. He was on the Air Florida 90 flight out of Washington back home to Florida when tragedy struck. It was a cold, cold January and ice had covered the Potomac River. And as the 
plane took off, it was unable to get gain altitude quick enough and actually struck a bridge. And the whole plane flipped over and plunged down through the ice into the freezing water. Almost everyone on that plane was immediately killed except for a handful of people and Arlen was one of them. They made their way to the back of the plane, actually to the tail section, which was the only part of the plane now that was above the ice. Emergency crews were notified, but they couldn't just take a boat out there because of all the ice on the water. And so they had to get a helicopter to come and lift each one of them out and bring them to safety. And so they, the helicopter would come and they would drop the rope with the, with the ring on it, the safety ring on it. And, and Arlen would take the rope and he would hand it off to an, another person and they would be taken off to safety. They would come back, drop the rope, and Arlen would grab it and give it to somebody else and they would fly to safety. Every time when Arlen grabbed the rope, he handed it off. He passed off the rope to the next person, to the next person. Till finally when they came back for Arlen, he was gone. Time Magazine wrote an article about him. And this is what they said. For at some moment in the water, he must have realized that he would not live if he continued to hand the rope and the ring to others. He had to know it. No matter how gradual the effect of the cold, when the helicopter took off with what was to be the last survivor, he watched everything in the world move away from him. And he deliberately let it happen. Arland chose that day to give his life so that others could be saved. And that was greatness. Even Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than this and a man lay down his life for his friends. But that's exactly what Jesus was doing on that road, on that busy road, heading up to Jerusalem. As he talked to these men, he said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. True greatness is not in a position of power. I took a humble position. True greatness is not being served. I am serving you. True greatness is not caring for yourself, but it's giving your life away, guys. And that's why I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm going to give my life away for you. You may never be in a position where you have to make a choice like Arlen to literally give your life. But let me just say this. And I want you to hear me. To really live the service road of greatness, you do have to die. You have to die to yourself. You have to die to your selfishness. You have to die to, it has to be your way all the time. You have to die to the what about me that's in all of us. And as you do that, then you can live this road of greatness that Jesus has for every one of us. And you may say, well, Craig, I don't know that I can do that. And you know what? You're right. You can't do that on your own. And that's why Jesus died. Jesus went to the cross. He died in your place. He rose again from the dead so that you could be made new, that your selfishness could be 
put down and you can be led by the Spirit of God to live the life that models Jesus. That's what greatness looked like. And I'm going to give you just an opportunity in just a minute here to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you just realize, you know what, I, I, I'm not living that life that God has for me. And maybe the reason is because you don't really know Christ. And if you don't know him, you can. Even now, he's extending the rope to you. You can take it by faith. I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Christ, if you're not sure, if you've ever give, been changed by the life of Jesus, then I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please change me. Lord, wash away my sin. Make me a new person. Today I choose to follow you. I choose the service road. I want to live my life to please you. Father, I thank you that you are so patient with us. And Lord, there's so much of what about me that's in every one of us. But Lord, I pray that we would choose these positions of lowliness, Lord, that we would choose to serve the people in our life, that God, you would whittle away this what about me, and, and that, that Lord Jesus, you would empower us to live life that's all about you, about your glory, about serving others, a life of greatness, greatness in your eyes. Lord, we love you. Use us this week. Take all that we are. We surrender it to you now. All that we have, we offer it to you now. In Jesus' name.